that. All right, we are in Exodus 20, going through the Ten Commandments, and of course we've gone through the entire book of Exodus, and now we're at the Ten Commandments. I'm not sure what happens after the Ten Commandments. I'm thinking about that. We go into a long section of the law, and I don't know if I want to continue through that, but um, you may be thinking I like to go between the Old and the New Testament. We are to the sixth command. Uh, Last week we talked about honor your father and your mother. And let's go ahead to begin to read through the entire entire section, um, the all 10 commandments. So we'll start at Exodus 21. We haven't done that for a couple weeks, but I think it's good to review those. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold you guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So that's our 10 commandments. Um, We've gone through each one of them. And we had mentioned that at the beginning, um, I am, you shall have no other gods before me, in a sense is the... uh, the overarching commandment, anytime we break any command, we're violating that command because we're putting something before God. Uh, last week, we talked about honor your father and your mother, which is the first of the second part of the Ten Commandments. The first one deals with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our, our vertical command. And now the horizontal, how we relate to other people, love your neighbor as yourself. And that begins with honoring your father and your mother. I think honor your father and your mother sits at the same place in the second set of laws as um, no other gods before me does on the first one. If we don't honor our parents, we probably will have trouble obeying the rest of those laws as well. And when you disobey those laws, you're not honoring your parents. Um, And so in a sense, that's where all the rest of these flow from. Because, um, and then we talked about how do you honor your parents? Um, I think the best way is to live a life that's honoring to God because that reflects back on your parents and honors your parents. And obviously we have all sorts of cases from people whose parents have not 
been all that they should be. And the question is even, how do I honor that person? Live according to God's laws and you will honor your parents. And I think there's more to it than that, of course, uh, the way that we talk to them, the way we treat them, the way we act toward them, but certainly living according to God's laws, according to his principles, loving our neighbor as ourself and loving God would be the most honoring thing we could do for any parent. So now this week we have, you shall not murder. Um, Wesley very helpfully this morning said, Dad, what you should say is you shall not murder. It's self-explanatory. Everybody can go. So, um, <laughs> which seems true, right? We know what it means. You shall not, you shall not murder. Uh, actually, though, I, I have thought about combining commands on some weeks, but this one I don't want to because this is one of the two commands that Jesus takes and expands for us so that we understand what God is after when he tells us to um, obey the commandments, what it actually means to honor, to, to, um, to say thou shalt not murder is explained to us by Jesus later on. And it can then be used for all of the laws. So this is actually a very important one to spend time with. Uh, the law begins and is very simple. You shall not murder. If you have the old King James, it's going to say, thou shalt not kill. There is a distinction between murder and killing. And it is in the Hebrew itself. To kill means exactly that, that at the end of whatever happens, somebody is dead. But murder always implies an intent. In fact, there is a word in Hebrew, which is used here, which is why ESV translates it murder which means to unlawfully and deliberately kill somebody else, okay? So we all understand that distinction and the distinction is in our own laws, but just to make the point crystal clear, if I'm driving down the highway 99 and I'm not texting and I'm not talking on my phone, I'm not distracted and I'm driving and somebody shoots, runs right out of the median and I hit them, nothing I can do. You see me next week, I'm gonna be all shook up, right? Sunday, you say, what happened? I, I'd say, I killed a person this week. I didn't murder somebody this week. I killed somebody this week. But if I was really mad at somebody and I took a handgun and I went over to his house and knocked on the door and they opened the door and I shot him, I can't just say I killed that person. I say, you murdered that person. The difference is that of intent. And then just like in our laws, the Old Testament is very clear that there's kind of a a range of it, right? There's deliberate murder, then there's negligent murder. For instance, you perhaps know of the, the case. We can look it up if you want. It's in uh, Leviticus, but it's where an ox, I th actually, I think it's in Exodus. Well, just flip over there, Exodus 21, verse 28. <clears throat> um, Exodus 21, 28, so just a couple of verses over. The, the, what's going to be fleshed out here is when is it actually murder? When an ox scores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. So now we have 
negligent homicide, negligent murder, where something, somebody is dead because you refuse to do something that should have been done, that also requires the death penalty. And we know then that there were cities of refuge that were set up. When somebody was killed, it was up to the family to avenge that murder often. But you had to decide, was it deliberate or was it accidental? And if it was accidental, you could flee to the city of refuge and live there until the high priest died. And then you were um, no, long, no one could then harm you after that. Um, on the other hand, if it was actual murder, you could not flee to the city of refuge. So very clear distinction there. Um, why is, I, I know this is a simple question, but, but why is murder so bad? Was that? Okay, you have somebody who's decided that they are judge and jury, so you're taking the place of, of God. This person's bad enough, they deserve to, to die. What's the biblical basis of, that would be biblical, of course, but what's the biblical basis for this absolute horror of taking another person's life? Tom? What is that? We are image bearers of God. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And I, I know this is simple for us, but it's really important because when you lose that, that we are made in the image and likeness of God, then you start to wonder why it's so big a deal for somebody to be, uh, for, uh, why murder is such a big deal. And you start losing it on both sides. And we'll talk about that in a second, Darla. Yeah, that would be, yeah, now we get into more of a philosophical argument and whether or not that was, you know, but, but you're right. You're basically taking from them something that's precious, but what you're taking from them is something that God has given that's even more important in a sense than our life itself. The fact that we are image bearers of God and, and only God has the right to call somebody home or to say your life is done. Only God has the right to do that. Walter. How would you define then the, the intent of the battlefield? Um, yeah, let's hold on to that for just a minute, okay? Let me go back. I do want to look at the verses, and I know we know them, but go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is after, actually, that's where it's, it culminates, but... Um, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea, fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So man created, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Um, the first murder, of course, takes place just a couple of chapters in, um, chapter uh, four. Um, I want to just look at that. We know that it, Cain and Abel had their disagreement over what the right offering was. Cain's offering is not accepted. Abel's is. He becomes jealous. 
God talks with him <coughs> and asks, God asks him, why are you angry? Why are you angry about this? And then in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Hold on to that thought. Because that's the exact antithesis of what Jesus is going to tell us in the New Testament. Um, that, that is, in a sense, the root of murder, is being angry with your brother and saying, I, he, I have no responsibilities toward him. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your blo- brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And that idea that blood spilled cries out to God for vengeance is, is throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Now jump over, we're going to um, move on from this pretty quick, but I just want you to see this. The command against murder, as far as I know, is the only one of the Ten Commands. Now I may be wrong on this, I didn't, I didn't um, research it thoroughly, but I cannot remember any other command being stated before the Ten Commands other than this one. And remember, Cain is not sentenced to death. He's sentenced to be exiled. And then later on, his, his uh, great-great-grandchild, Lamech, commits two murders and then brags about it. So it, it, whatever has happened, it hasn't made enough of an impact. After, <coughs> in Genesis chapter 9, um, and I want to start at um, <clears throat> verse 3, it says, uh, actually verse 2, the fear of you, and this is after the flood, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that there lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So something changed after the flood. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your life blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So even back then, after the flood, God says now, if there's going to be somebody um, commit murder, then there's got to be a reckoning. And it's by blood shall man, by man shall his blood be shed. Okay, now, I hope we don't get into a huge argument over capital punishment. And uh, Walter already brought up uh, what happens in war, because that's not the focus of what I want to do. But some of you may want to talk about it, so maybe that's what ends up happening. Um, when we say there's unlawful killing, there is also in the Old Testament, now we may say that Jesus has done something and changed this. I realize there's a strong Mennonite population, which um, Mennonites are pacifists, and it affects the way they interpret parts of the New Testament. I understand that. But in the Old Testament, there's at least, if we're going to be internally consistent, there's at least two places where man is allowed to kill another man. One is 
when a crime has been committed where the penalty is death. That's not unlawful. It's willful, but it's not unlawful. Uh, certainly, you cannot remain consistent and say that any time a man dies at the hands of another man, that that is against God's law, because God's law commands that. In fact, we just read that. If your ox scores somebody and you knew it, you're to be put to death. And the death penalty is prescribed throughout. Um, and then the other place would be in war. And that's where we're going to get into the question of when is that allowed? And then we have our whole just war theory. And now we've got a college class on, on that. But we know that there were times in the Old Testament where in war you were commanded to kill the enemy. The classic example is Saul, who was told to kill all of the Amalekites. And he kills all of them except Agog, the king. And for that, he has the kingdom stripped from him. It's actually for the sin of rebellion, but his rebellion was in not doing what God commanded him to kill all of the people. So to say that any time another man is killed, that that is then against what is being said in the Ten Commandments, uh, we're going to have tr trouble with that and be internally consistent with the Bible. Go ahead, Matt. Kill, yeah. Entire town. The only, uh, the only people who were spared was Rahab and her family. Yeah. Because they decided to be faithful to the uh, Israelites. Yeah. So, so we know that that's part of the Old Testament. So, I, I know that this is going to be unsatisfying for some of you, but I, I really want that. Like, very few of us are ever going to actually have a real stake in capital punishment, right? Anybody here an executioner? Anybody here? I mean, hey, we don't even do it in the state of California anymore. So, and and I, very few of you are going to face the issue of whether I have to kill in battle. I'd I'd rather bring it to our level, if that's okay. And I I know that this can be a really contentious issue, and everybody has their own. Um, what I want to do is look at what Jesus does with this command, because it sets the stage for how we understand all the rest of the commands. So. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5 because Jesus takes two of the commands and he explains them for us and he expands them for us. And it's that that we want to focus on because you see there's two completely different ways of reading you shall not murder. And the one is to look at it and say, okay, here's the command, I'm not to kill anybody. I haven't done that, I'm great. Whew. One command I don't have to worry about. My guess is, looking at this room, none of you are ever going to kill somebody. Right? Now, it might be that we, ha I mean, if I talk at the prison, I've got to be careful saying that, right? Um, remember, Moses is writing this command. What is Moses? A murderer. He rises up and he kills a man. Uh, he might have thought he was justified, but it was not a justifiable murder. He wasn't in the place. So, so even if you've committed murder, 
um, which is theoretically possible in this room. Somebody might have committed a murder. Um, we still have to now ask, like all the other commands, what does God require of us now? But the tendency is to look at the laws in the Ten Commandments and say, what does it exactly prohibit? Thus far shall I go and no further. Um, we like loopholes, right? And the easiest loophole of all is the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, because most of us don't do it. In fact, I remember when I was doing, I think it was evangelism or explosion or something, they would, you would ask people, why do you think you're going to heaven? And the answer is always, well, I've been a pretty good person. Then you would ask, well, why do you think you've been a pretty good person? And the common answer was, well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. That was 30 years ago. I don't know if that's still the common answer. And our, we were asked then to ask the question, well, what are the Ten Commandments? And you know how many commandments most people can come up with? Three or four. So, well, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, steal. Oh. Okay, so you know three of the Ten Commandments, but you think that you're keeping the Ten Commandments. But why is murder in there? That's the one everybody can keep. But Jesus is going to expand this, and then it's going to be expanded more in the rest of the New Testament. So you all know where I'm going, I'm sure. Um, Exodus, I mean, Matthew chapter 5, go to verse 17. Uh, 17 is where Jesus is going to set this up. <clears throat> Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, who relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That was a sobering thing because the scribes and the Pharisees were keeping the law almost perfectly the way they defined it. How are you more righteous? Well, Jesus is going to explain that. You have heard that it was said to those of old. Remember, the Ten Commandments are called the Ten Words. This is what was said. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be, able, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay. So what does Jesus do? I know we've all thought about this at some point. He takes murder and he moves it back to where it comes from, right? Where does it come from? The heart. And what is happening in the heart that causes us then to move toward murder, whether we ever get all the way there? What's the two th the things that he mentions? Anger and insults, right? By the way, we oftentimes focus on the anger. And now we just move the law back one set, one notch, right? Well, okay, I can't murder and I can't even be angry with you. <sighs> can't be angry with you, okay? And so now we try and control our anger. We have anger management courses and all the rest. What about this insulting? Why, why is insulting in there? 
It does create anger, but what does insulting, if, if, if I insult somebody, where am I placing them in regard to myself? But less than, right? In other words, if we're looking at man is made in the image of God, by insulting somebody, what are we doing? We're saying that person is less than I am. That person is somehow n- not what I am. And he even gives an example, you fool. You call somebody a fool. Then, then that's the start of that process. What we've missed is the whole point that we are to see everybody as being made in the image of God just like we are, and we are not to be angry with them, and we are not to insult them. Now, how many of us have insulted somebody in our lifetime? Some of you do it every day driving on the road. You idiot. Right? Okay, you don't even know them. I know. Uh, you're just mad that they're driving slow. You're actually just mad at their action. But, but um, uh, we have brothers and sisters in this class, right? Nobody who's ever insulted their brother or their sister. Okay. Nobody's been angry before. So, so now we're moving that back. But even here, I think we can miss it. Because we're going to now say, okay, all right, got to watch my words. Do you understand? We're, we're, we're trying to do this without understanding the spirit of the law. So let's go all the way back. What are the two commands summarized as? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The, the command has a negative side, what you shouldn't do. Don't murder, don't insult, don't be angry. But it has a positive side. And the positive side is love your neighbor as yourself. So I think there is a really important parable that Jesus tells, actually not a parable, a story, that I know is actually taught for maybe a slightly different reason, but I want us to look at it. Luke Luke chapter 10, verse 33, it is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay. I think the Good Samaritan is helping us to flesh out what Jesus is trying to say in Matthew chapter 5. Because we all know the story, but let's read it because it is such a great story. Starting at verse, um, actually back at verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and live. By the way, that is very insightful. That is what the law commands. That's where partly where we get it from. Before we go on, I just want you to jump over to Romans chapter 13. I want to show you something there. Because Paul repeats that exact same thing in talking how we should relate to our brothers. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 13. Romans 13, verse uh, 8 through 10 says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So this lawyer has figured that out, but he's still a lawyer, (laughs) right? Sorry, Kirk. (laughs) Lawyers look for loopholes because we're all lawyers at heart. We look for loopholes. We wanna know what is permissible, what can I get away with? So I know I have to love my neighbor as myself, and so he asked the question, what is your neighbor? And that's the point of the parable, to tell us who our neighbor is. But I think if we read it, you'll see that these other things are taught there as well. So, but back to the verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took him out, took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, now look at the three, three here. We have the man who gets robbed. The robbers break the commands, right? They steal and they try and kill him. They covet what he has. Um, they are the exact, breaking the exact laws. But then we have the priest and the Levite. What's the priest and the Levite's response? Am I my brother's keeper? Isn't that their response? Am I my brother's keeper? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get involved here. I'm gonna walk by. They didn't love him. Therefore, they did not obey the command either. But now look at the good Samaritan. What does he do? And by the way, there's even a deeper thing that it's a Samaritan, not a Jew, but that's a, for another lesson. What does he do? Where the people had stolen, he gives. Where the robbers had stolen, he gives. Where the robbers had wounded, he brings healing. Where the robbers have tried to take life, he is giving back life. He's taking that command, those commands, and he's moving them to the positive side. Not what shouldn't I do, but what should I do. (coughs) Now let's think of our ultimate example which is Jesus. How does Jesus love us? He left what he had and he came to earth and he came not to serve, uh, be served, but to serve. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the perfect example of obeying the Ten Commands because he, rather than takes, gives. He does the exact opposite. 
You say, well, that's Jesus, but go to Philippians chapter 2. This is what we are called upon to be as well. I love Philippians 2, but every time I read it, I'm convicted. (laughs) Because this is ultimately what God is trying to get at when he gives us the command, you shall not murder. It's that, that my life is, is uh, your life is just as important as my life is. And that's a hard thing to get my mind wrapped around, but we need to understand that that's what we're being called to do because that's what it says in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, and here it is, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Once again, I go back. When you say, I am, not, am I my brother's keeper? What are you saying? My brother's interests are of no concern to me. But here, look not only to your interests, but also to the interests of others. And then, of course, our example. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being bound in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that is the picture, and I almost can't stop reading that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every t- tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's what Jesus is going to do with all of the commands. And Paul mentions it. All the commands are summed up by this. Um, our, our call isn't just to not go and shoot somebody. It's to live a life where our life is poured out in service for other people, where when I look at other people, I see them as more, their interests as more important than my own. And man, do we ever need the Holy Spirit's help for that. <laughs> so rather than this line that we draw way over here that every one of us can avoid crossing over, the, the line's been drawn way over here where we need the Holy Spirit's help every single day just to keep the command, thou shalt not murder. So, uh, And then that will be the spirit that we look at the other commands with as well. Because it's not just that one. Jesus took, in fact, April asked me this morning, by the way, you can pray for April. She's a little sick. Her lungs have, something's going on in her lungs. And so she wasn't here this morning. She was feeling fine, but when she goes out in the cold, something happens. So, um, but she was saying, so do you think it's just the two that Jesus mentions, it's like, no, this is the spirit with which we take all of the laws. So comments or questions or thoughts, and I'm sorry, those of you who want to talk about capital punishment and, um, and uh, just war, but we can do that some, I'll let David do that. David, do a series on just war and uh, capital punishment at some point. Um, we'll, we'll put you on that, so. Um,
Tell me. I think it's a generic insult, yeah. But I, I don't know that. I didn't research that, so I'm just guessing. I'll point to my, is there something special about you fool? I don't know either. By the way, there might be times where in a particular situation, you're called upon to address somebody and what you say may seem insulting, right? Um, I don't think that means that we never ever talk, obviously a boss, may have to chide an employee and say, you haven't been working hard enough or that was a foolish thing to do. So we have to even be careful there. The spirit of it isn't that that one word is prohibited. It's really that was an example of an insult. I call somebody a fool. I obviously think they're less important than me and we're getting to that idea that somehow their interests aren't as important as my own because they're a lesser form of human being than I am. Okay, anything else? Right. Yeah, that one would. Yeah. Yeah. I I would think so. Yeah, we we're looking at the spirit here. So, anything else? Okay. Oh, now we got some. All right, go ahead. Well, it's kind of lengthy. I knew a fellow that was a sniper in Vietnam, and he had uh, killed numerous people, hundreds, and uh, he was more, he was really troubled about it naturally at this particular time, and uh, he was, uh, he was in that league or that group of people that they'd take them and put them up on the side of, they'd take them up a river, and then he would go up on the side of a ridge and uh, he'd stay there for a couple of days by himself. And the thing that was the trouble is whenever a boat would come by, it was his choice who to take out of it. And he had to look and say, now which guy am I gonna kill? And which would be the most beneficial to what his thing is? And the more he worried about that, and later in life he's passed now, uh, that fact that he got to the point that he enjoyed what he was doing. And when his commander uh, realized that, he was out of it. He stopped it right then, no more. And uh, and now later in life, he was really, I had a lot of conversation with him and the fact that he had to decide, just take one of them out of a boat and then of course he would then uh, uh, show his position so he then became uh, the target. target himself. Quite yeah. A fellow. yeah, and we didn't go into any of that, of course, but obviously there are people who have served in the military who were called upon to, to kill. And then cases like that, I actually had a student who went and went into the special forces. And, and I've always wondered how that affects you because we are ingrained that human life is, is valuable. Um, and that's where that whole just what is permissible in war and what is not is is something that, again, David will cover that in his, um, in his <laughs> seminar on that. Tom. I was just feeling guilty as you're uh, teaching uh, regarding watching uh, political landscape these days and, and uh, what I think and, and sometimes what I say uh, regarding other people uh, and 
Yeah. Who bear God's image? That's in James, yeah. Well, yeah, let's, I'm, I'm just going to give you my opinion, okay? And I'm going to ask that because I'm dealing with that in prison with guys. And it just... You see, it, I, I think what happens is we're taught at some point, this is my own, my own take on it, could be totally wrong. We're taught at some point in our life that every sin is bad enough to send us to hell. And it is. <clears throat> if you break one law, you've broken them all. Um, but I think it would be foolish not to recognize that there are some sins which have a much worse consequence. Um, and so we actually have to look at sin from two different ways. What is it? It's violating, um, we're, we're placing something above God, our own desires or whatever. And then also, how does it affect that other person? When I get mad at the person who cuts me off on the road, it doesn't even affect him. It actually affects me. He doesn't even know what's happened, right? Un unless I make some sort of hand gesture, which I wouldn't do, but uh, right. But even then, he's probably gonna laugh it off. But if I pull out my gun and shoot him, that, that ripples through society. So I, I think that you have to look at it from both sides. Insulting somebody, that may be the beginning, but that, that shows the intent of the heart. But to actually pull out a gun and murder him that consequence is so much greater. So I, th I think you have to look at it from both sides there. But from God's perspective. But God's perspective, they both, sh one I think shows the sin in embryo and the other shows it full, full born. Yeah. We didn't even talk about some of the other aspects and I know we're out of time. Let me just throw out a few things. If when you lose that concept of the image of God, we lose it both directions. So PETA, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals has their, their campaign, that, campaign that meat is murder. That's campaign or it was a few years back. Well, what are they doing? They've lost that we're the image of God and therefore all living things are at exactly the same value. But then we have the other side when we lose the image of God. We, our, our country has aborted 70 million babies, roughly, since 1972 or 73, whenever the decision was. That blood is crying out from the ground because we've forgotten that that child was made in the image of God as well. And now we have, you can go up to Oregon and, and ask a doctor to kill you, <laughs> which is suicide is prohibited by this as well. Um, so we, we've, we're losing it on both ends. It's really important to establish the principle that we are made in the image of God or we will see society, we're already seeing it, 
begin to nibble away at that until it doesn't mean anything. But as Christians, ultimately, our example is what Christ did. We place other people as more important than ourselves. And we live our lives for the benefit, not just of ourselves, but for, for other people. We live it for God's glory, which means that we are loving and encouraging other people. So, okay, <clears throat> let's, let's close in prayer.